Well, may the Lord use this movie to bring healing and hope to the nation. It opens up this Friday, September 10th. And as you could see, one of our elders, one of our own, one of our leaders, Sherman Smith, is in this movie and uh, sharing some of his story. And uh, we want to support the movie. We want to support him. So look for an email this week coming from either Pastor Jerry or the men's ministry speaking of how we can uh, fill a local theater um, so that we can all be out for it together as men. Uh, bring your boys. Bring, bring your wives. We all need this. We all need this message. So I, I saw Sherman this morning. There's Sherman back there. Sherman, we're praying for you, man, because God is going to use this mightily. And with that also comes warfare. But if God be for you, who can be against you? We understand, as you've taught all of us, especially me, that uh, this is what it's all about, uh, making an advancement for the kingdom of God, one life at a time. So this is going to be awesome. The Kendrick brothers, it seems like everything that they put out is successful. And so I'm so thankful for this. So Friday the 10th, again, look for an email from us, and we'll get as many folks who can fill a theater to come out and be a part of this. So, so spread the word. But also, um, giving honor to whom honor is due, not just to Sherman, but also uh, to my niece, Chandler Bell, for playing, uh, what is that high instrument? Cello. The cello. See, I almost said oboe. Uh, playing the cello and, and doing it with such beauty. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And, uh, and I also want to call out a younger man. I don't know if he's here today, but Jalen Pollard, is he here today? Yeah. There he is walking right there. Young man, I want to commend you for not only um, submitting to your parents at home and obeying your parents, but the way you've been playing football the past couple weeks, man, uh, I, I, I was told you had four solo tackles, you threw four touchdowns, you had two interceptions, and your team blew out the other team. They didn't even score on y'all. So, man, I just want to acknowledge you today, boy. Keep it going. Keep it going. That's right. That's right. Yeah, man. And this coming Wednesday, we get started again with our midweek discipleship opportunities for children, students, and adults. Um, Felicia shared some last week. Isaiah will come, who's over the student ministry, and share to conclude the service today. Uh, the students have a, re a retreat coming up, but also this coming Wednesday, the things that they're going to be doing online in order to connect uh, with God and with each other. And for the adults, we will be on Facebook Live. Darina and I are going through a series from now through the second week of December on Wednesday night, 6.30 on Facebook, and uh, it's called I Know I've Been Changed, What We Can Learn from the Conversion of the Apostle Paul from Acts chapter 9. We're going to be at Acts 9, and from there we'll go out and we'll cross-reference because it is Bible study. But above all, we're going to look at the fact that when the Lord meets you, as Pastor Jerry gave the gospel invitation before communion, that when you become a believer, you cannot be the same. And we're going to look at the transformation of Paul and how there was a radical change in his life as there ought to be in ours. Because when you meet Jesus, when you see Jesus... You can't stay the same. Amen. So we're going to have a good time with that. All right, all right. Well, let me pray. And again, thank God for these great musicians who are here. Thank you, Dr. Jewell, for leading us in worship. My God, it's such a beautiful thing to just worship God in spirit and in truth. And then he has a way of inhabiting the praises of his people. He has a way of just encouraging your heart with his manifest presence. Uh, because, because in his presence, there's the joy, the hope that we need. So thank you, Lord. Let's talk to him. Father, now I come to your word. I need help to preach it. I need help to teach it. And your people need help to hear it. And we all need help to do it, to live it. Jesus, you knew we would need help. So you told the disciples, and you told us, I'm going to send you another helper. 
He will not only be with you, he will be in you. Thank you, Lord, that the helper is working in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Thank you that he is transforming and conforming us to the image of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you said he would come and bring glory to you. So, Jesus, it's about you, not about us. So we must, as John the Baptist said, decrease so that Jesus, the worthy one, might increase. We choose to bow now. Thank you, Lord, because we know that those who don't choose will one day bow against their will because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I'm so glad that you touched our hearts, that we're born again. We're believers. We're saints of God, and we have bowed the knees of our heart, not only at conversion, but daily throughout the day, submitting our will to your will. Thank you, Jesus, that you suited up you came into this world to show us how to live. Thank you again, Holy Spirit, for helping us to be more like the master every day. Jesus, you said that we would be your disciples if we held to your teaching. No teaching, no discipleship. So God, help me to teach in a way that honors you and blesses your people. I thank you, God. Encourage folks today. Strengthen folks today convince folks today oh the word is so powerful do it Lord in Jesus name I pray amen amen you know we live in a world today that if anyone is experiencing some level of success whether it's in the business world the world of academics real estate uh, entertainment, sports, whatever sphere you may find yourself in, uh, medicine, whatever it is, that there are people that if you have success, they will come up and ask you, what's the secret sauce to your success? I, I, I mean, how did you get to where you are? What's the secret of your success? To which some people will say, as Denzel Washington once said, success comes when luck meets opportunity. Denzel, I'm down with a lot of stuff you say, but I'm not so sure about that one, when luck meets opportunity. Uh, there's a gospel singer that says, I'm not lucky, I'm loved. I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. But there are people who will come along and say, well, to be successful, you got to have hard work. The reason why I am where I am today is because of discipline. You know, it's not always who you know, it's uh, what you know, it's who you know. You got to know the right people. You got to know people in high places. You got to have skill. You got to practice. You got to be persistent. You, you must read. Uh, it's about timing. They'll tell you all these things about what led to their success. Again, hard work, discipline, knowing the right people, practice, skill, persistence, education, timing, all those things are true. But in addition to those things, you and I know <laughs> that it's nothing but the favor of God on our lives. Because the favor of God allows us to work hard. The favor of God allows us to have discipline. The favor of God allows us to meet the right people at the right time. The favor of God allows us to practice and to sharpen our skills, to be persistent, to be educated. The, the favor of God ultimately is why we are where we are if we have any level of success in this life. And when we talk about the favor of God, another word is the grace of God. Unearned goodness, unearned favor. So when you see success in my life, it's nothing but the favor of God, the mercy of God, because I don't have to have what I have. It's only because of the goodness of God. Plainly, if I have to put this, any success in my life is due to the hand of the Lord that's upon me. Oh, I don't know if I have a praying church or not this morning, but anything good in your life, any success is because of the hand of the Lord that's on your life. And I'm going to prove that today in this sermon entitled, The Hand of the Lord. So turn over to Ezra chapter 7. That's in the Old Testament. Ezra chapter 7. 
Ezra comes just before Nehemiah. I said, Pastor, I need a little bit more help than that. Uh, uh, but, but just look into your contents and you'll find Ezra in the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord. As you know, we are in a, a series called For Everything There Is a Season. Because of this season that we are in, that is very precarious and peculiar to all of us. And we're trying to find our way. And as we said a couple of weeks ago when we introduced this series, that although seasons change, God remains the same. He is faithful. And as we sang today about him being the foundation on which our lives are built, uh, it's a reminder from the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 that I love to share with uh, newlywed couples or couples who are about to get married that you have a choice on how you're going to build your life and how you're going to build your house. You're either going to build it on the rock or you're going to build it on the sand. Because here's the deal. No matter how you build or where you build, the rain, the winds, and the storms are coming against each house. Whether you are a Christian on the rock or an unbeliever on the sand, that the same storms of life will come. The seasons will come. But the house is only as strong as the foundation that is built upon and we know that Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation of our lives. So when you become a Christian, when I became a Christian, it wasn't a promise that there would be sunny days every day. No, you have a God who says that you live in a fallen world with fallen people, fallen systems, and even a fallen creation. And when those storms come, I'm with you and I will keep you from collapsing, falling apart, losing your mind, giving up hope. I will keep you stable in the midst of the season and the storms. And so this series, for everything there is a season, I just want to say to you that in this season that we're in, where there's local, national, and global unrest, in this season that we're in, what you want on you is the hand of the Lord. What you want on you in this season and in every season is the hand of the Lord. And our worship leader, Dr. Gibson, gave me a song this past week that I have been playing all week since she gave it to me. And it's from Ricky Dillard, and it's called The Hand of the Lord. And the verse says, it's no goodness of my own, but it's the hand of the Lord that's upon me. Because we have a tendency as people to try to take glory that belongs only to God. We have a tendency to try to take credit that belongs only to God. We think we did it. We think uh, uh, that it's up to us. But those of us who are mindful and aware that it's only the goodness of the Lord that is upon me. What is the hand of the Lord? Pastor, what is the hand of the Lord? Well, when we think about the hand of the Lord, let's first think of the fact that God technically doesn't have a hand, okay? Just technically, God doesn't have a hand. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. Uh, he's spirit. And so when the Bible says that he has hands or the eyes of the Lord, uh, 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 all those things, when the Bible mentions those metaphors, that is a term that theologians use called anthropomorphism meaning that God is breaking himself down into pieces and into ways that finite, limited, fallen people can begin to comprehend him just a little bit. So when God says he has a hand, that's for us to be able to understand a little bit more about who he is. Uh, or, or even when it says that the feet of God, speaking of God the Father, uh, th that's just a way of trying to let us in on who God is, that we can comprehend him in our limited capacity. So don't think literal hand, because today we're going to read about Ezra saying the hand of the Lord was upon me. Don't think about a literal hand, but here's what I want you to think. I want you to think in another way metaphorically, and that is think covering. Think cover or covering. The hand of the Lord is on me. Covering is on you. God has blanketed you. And with that blanket, with that hand, come certain benefits and qualities that we'll look at today from the book of Ezra. So when you think of the hand of the Lord, in order to get that, some of us can get it with the hand, you know, uh, because we have parents who put a hand on us to calm us. 
Uh, we put hands on our pets to calm them, to keep them. All those things, we feed people with our hands. So, so, so we can carry that illustration as far as we can take it, but also think of covering, being blanketed, that we are covered, it, covered excuse me, with God's favor. We are covered and blanketed with God's mercy. We are covered and blanketed with God's righteousness imputed to us through Jesus Christ. So we're robed in righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord today. So when you think of hand, think of covering with favor, with mercy, with goodness and with blessings. And all these and more come from the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord is more than the Midas touch. It was believed that the Midas touch, there was a king, a Persian king, that whatever he would touch would turn to gold. So people will say, you've got the Midas touch because everything you do, it succeeds. But for us as believers, we're not talking about the Midas touch. We're talking about the Almighty's touch. And it's completely different because when the Almighty touches you, when his hand covers you, and you are cognizant of his hand, you're going to see some unusual things. You're going to see some unprecedented things in your life. You're going to see some unexpected things and undeniable things, which is why in this season and every season, what you want is the hand of the Lord. But many of us fish after the hand of man, the approval of man to the chagrin of the hand of of the Lord. Now the approval of men has their place, but even as believers as we get this eternal focus, we know that anyone who lays hands on us in the natural realm to give us a promotion or to lift us up, it only comes because God put his hands on us in the spiritual and the eternal realm. So when we ordained Pastor Jerry here at Strong Tower Bible Church, when I was ordained by my father-in-law Alan McFarland back in 1992, Men put their hands on me, but it only happened because God first put his hand on me and on Pastor Jerry and any of us who happen to be ordained. So this phrase, the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord is mentioned six times in Ezra in two chapters, chapter six and chapter seven. We find this phrase, hand of the Lord, mentioned six times. And as we do inductive Bible study, anytime you find something re being repeated, we need to stop and pause, think and consider, what does God want me to see with what he's doing? Because he keeps repeating this. So since he's repeating this, it's very important. Every word of God is important. And then when he repeats something, man, we better stop and pause and say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? And then Ezra's contemporary in his day, Nehemiah, we see this term two times mentioned in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 2. So the hand of the Lord is important, is serious. And when we get this, when we grasp this, it changes the ball game. You see, when Ezra and Nehemiah experienced the hand of God upon them, both men, listen to this, were in a season that involved several things. They were in a season that involved leaving, leaving Babylon, or should I say Persia, because the Babylonians had taken the Israelites into captivity, but then the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and so Babylon became Persia. But the children of God had a promise on their life to go back to the land after their captivity for 70 years. So what we see with these men is that they are leaving one place and they're returning to another place. Really a place that they had never been before because both Ezra and Nehemiah were slaves. They were born into slavery. Ezra even talks about that in his writings in the book of Ezra. And so they're leaving slavery. They're leaving bondage and oppression to go back home, a home that they had not been to before. So they're returning. It's a season of returning. It's a season of rebuilding. Because when the Jews were first released, there were three uh, uh, departures from Persia for the Jewish people. The first one occurred under a governor named Zerubbabel. When King Cyrus allowed uh, uh, Zerubbabel and the people to go back to Jerusalem after their 70-year captivity, 
in order to rebuild the temple. And so thousands left under Zerubbabel to build the temple, which paled in comparison to Solomon's temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. And yet this temple that paired in comparison, God said a greater glory is going to rest on this temple that was on Solomon's temple. Because God has a way of, of, of showing off in broken places and with broken people. All the, or, you know, the, 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 um, the way that Solomon decorated the temple with all the gold and all that stuff, the ornate opulence that he used. God's like, okay, but this place here that they built coming out of captivity, there's going to be more power here than on that other place. Because God loves to dwell amongst brokenness and broken people. Oh, man, that's why we just make ourselves available, which is the best ability. God, here I am. Use me. I'm broken, busted, and disgusted. But a greater glory can rest on you when you thought you had it all together. And so, so, so Zerubbabel led a group. And then Ezra's going to lead a group. And they're not rebuilding the temple. He's going to rebuild the people. Because the people need the word of God. They need the law. And he is a scribe. And then when Nehemiah comes, he's going to rebuild the wall in order to create this level of defense and safety and protection for the people of God. So there are three stages of returns leaving out of Babylon or Persia. And in this season, not only would there be leaving, returning, rebuilding, repenting, there would also be success. Zerubbabel, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah all had success. And my question is, what season are you in right now? Some of you are leaving. Some of you are returning. Some of you are rebuilding. I hope we all are repenting. What kind of season are you in? But I have to let you know, as we jump into the text today, it was also a season of resistance. There was warfare that was going on in that particular season. And so some of you would say, I definitely understand resistance right now with the season that I, I'm in. But no matter the season... You and I want the hand of God upon us. And at the close of this message, I'm going to show you from the text how we get the hand of God upon us. But here's what I want to look at today. When the hand of the Lord is upon you, you will experience at least five things from the text. I'm going to show you five things. Now, I put it in a way that we can remember this. So all of these five things, each one of them will start with the letter P. Okay, so, so when, when, when we talk about the hand of the Lord being upon us, there are at least five P's from the text. So watch the alliteration. I'm talking about the P of promotion, provision, protection, power, and proven success. Oh, all these from the text. Lord, help me preach. Uh, uh, we're going to see how when the hand of the Lord is upon you, there will be promotion. There will be provision. There will be protection there will be power and there will be proven success. All right, let's go to Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, as we look at promotion. Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. It says, this Ezra came up from Babylon and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given the king which is Artaxerxes, granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So did you see what I just said? So it said that, that he has access to the king of Persia. And my question is, how does a slave, although he's a scribe, he's a man of God, how, how does a slave get on the radar of the king of Persia. I mean, that would be like the president of the United States calling one of us by name today on our cell phone. Like, like how, how did we connect that? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how this happened, but I want you to know that this is called promotion or elevation because God is going to use this earthly king in order to get his people where he wants them to be. And in the book, it talks about how God moved on the heart of the king. In the first six chapters, it talks about how God moved on the heart of King Cyrus to make this proclamation to let the Jews go. 
He didn't know about a 70-year Babylonian captivity that Jeremiah prophesied, but he was under the lure of the puppet master God saying, it's time now. Their, their captivity is complete. I'm going to move on your heart to let them go back under Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. And now we see it again under this king, who is Artaxerxes, where he has a relationship with a slave scribe named Ezra. You see, when the hand of the Lord is upon you, he will take you places that, again, are unexplainable, uh, 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 unconventional. You, you can't say, I'm here because of my own pedigree, my own relationships, my own resources. It's nothing but the hand of the Lord that this man knows that man. And then in chapter 7, verse 12, Artaxerxes is going to give Ezra a, a, a letter to take with him as he makes the trip from Babylon, Persia to Jerusalem. He's going to give him a letter, a rite of passage, if you will. And I look at verse 12 where it says, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God in heaven. Again, a king and a slave. This is called promotion. All right, you still don't believe? Psalm 75, Psalm 75. Because some of us are saying, okay, when am I going to get my promotion? You're, you're struggling. You, you say, I've been at my job all this time. They haven't recognized me. I don't know what's going on. Well, promotion is from the Lord. Psalm 75, beginning at verse 6. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. So the reason why we have the positions we have is because God exalted us, and it wasn't so much our own ingenuity and strength. It wasn't because of our family inheritance. It was because of the favor, the mercy, the grace, the hand of God that has elevated you to your position, to your role. And when he elevates you, you can then go in the confidence of faithful is he who calls who will also do it. But sometimes God will elevate us and then we try to take the glory and begin elevating ourselves. Uh, Lucifer, anyone? Uh, 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 so, 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 so we see promotion here before this thing ever even jumps off that something happens where the king, because God, the king of kings, the real king of kings, moves on Artaxerxes' heart to develop a re relationship with this particular scribe. I know there were other scribes there who were still left behind in captivity, but why this one? Because God said, it's this one. And I thank God for the fact that while Ezra was waiting to be promoted, somebody needs to hear this, he was prepared for this moment because he worked his craft in the dark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. uh, look at verse uh, 10 here. It says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So while he's a slave, he's being faithful over a few things then God elevates him to be faithful over many things. A lot of us are waiting on God for the promotion when the truth is God might be waiting on you because, yes, God is going to work, but he expects us to work too, and that's work with him. So we got to work. We got to come to work on time. <laughs> oh, I could chase that, couldn't I? But we do raggedy stuff and want the hand of God. No, the Bible says that Jesus did all things well. And integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's watching, but you know God is watching. So we want these positions and seats of power. We want the money and we want the raise and we want to be known. But really the heart of a servant is I just want to be faithful. I just want to serve. And that's what Ezra, Ezra was doing as a scribe, taking care of the word of God during captivity. And God says, I'm going to promote you. The king is going to know your name. But then secondly, provision. I got to go back to verse 6 again. It says, this Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was skilled, a skilled scribe. Are you skilled in what you do? Are you working your craft? Are you working out? Are you reading? Are you doing the things you're supposed to do? He's a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him 
all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So this relationship wasn't just for Ezra to say, you know I know the king, right? We hobnob together. We, we just hang out. No, no. He was elevated, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, not for himself, but to bless other people. He was elevated in order to be a channel through which God could, could send his blessings to other people. And so there's provision here. The king granted him all his requests, meaning that when he's with the king, he's just not asking, can you hook me up? He's asking the king, can you hook my people up? Because we're not going to get comfortable in captivity. That's what the book of Esther was about. Esther can be found between Ezra chapter 6 and 7. There's a 57-year gap, and that's where Esther happens, where the Jews were getting so comfortable living in a foreign land. And so God says, I got to shake this thing up because I got to bring y'all back to the promised land. And so Ezra chapter 7 begins with the second group going back. But there's provision. So he's asking for what they're going to need in order to make this trip and to do all the things they have to do. Because I believe that whatever God authorizes, he pays for. Uh, The king granted me all his requests, which means he had to ask. So just because God's hand is on you, that doesn't mean you don't ask people with resources to help you. Because you realize that the resources they have all come from God. It's all his stuff. The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. We're not taking any of this stuff with us. It's about how we use this stuff till we go. It's all God's stuff. So so the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. So Ezra understands that the earth is the Lord and the stuff that the king has in his hand is just God's stuff. Because God is the source who sends his resources through various channels. That's a man of faith right there. So therefore, he's not afraid to ask. I I, I need uh, the artifacts from the temple. When the Babylonians destroyed the temple and took the gold and the silver, uh, I need that stuff back. And the Bible says the king granted him all his requests. So there is provision. Okay, that's still not enough for you. If you were to read verses 11 through 26, the king says, I'm not only going to give you the stuff that the Babylonians stole. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to give uh, y'all bulls and goats and sheep. The king, I'm going to give you stuff that you may offer to your God. He's not my God. He's your God. But the heart of the king, Proverbs 21.1, is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it however he wishes. So God moves on his king, on his heart. I know we talk about Pharaoh, that God hardened his heart, but Pharaoh hardened his heart first. But we see in this king that he's like, here, man, I'm going to make some free will offerings. There are no price tags, uh, no, no catches to this. The Bible says that they're going to freely offer to the God of Israel, who is not their God, all the stuff that they need. And, and he says, uh, and I'm going to give you a blank check. So that whatever you don't have now, you can get it later. A blank check. How many preachers can you trust with a blank check from the government? My God. Because here's the thing about it. Ezra had the charisma to lead, but he also had the character to lead. A lot of folks have the charisma to get going, but they don't have the character to sustain them. There's a lot of leaders who got the charisma, but they don't have the character. And the way character gets tested is when you have power and authority and money and resources. Are you going to change because your financial portfolio changes? I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. And Ezra, man, was not moved by the fact that the king even said that that nobody can even charge you taxes on the stuff y'all have. So it's tax-free. And on and on in these verses, he's telling him what he's going to give Ezra and the people of God. The king is saying, man, take what you want. There's provision here. Why? Because when we are in God's will, God picks up the bill. I know you didn't hear it. When you're in God's will, he picks up the bill. So when something goes wrong in my house, I'm like, God, there's a leak in the roof of your house. When something's wrong with my car, God, there's something wrong with your car. I need resources. I need money. You said you would supply my needs. I need something. This is your problem. This is your stuff. Ezra recognized where it all came from and that God is going to pick up the bill and then some. The king, the king blessed Ezra and the people. But it began with him asking. 
some of us won't get because we won't ask. <laughs> We're too prideful. And so you can't get the hand of the Lord on you if you're prideful. You got to humble yourself and ask. One of the <laughs> greatest people I've ever seen do this is Lasagna. I don't know if she's here this morning. But Lasagna, when she asks people for things, she gets it. <laughs> and when she asks for clothes and food and donation, transportation, uh, uh, any of that, or, or, or these big name people to come sing or do something, she gets it. And, and she's not afraid to ask them because she knows it's God's stuff. And you're simply God's instrument. And if you say no, that don't mean this person over here is going to say no. So we got to learn how to ask as well. Then thirdly, y'all, that's protection. That's protection. Ezra chapter, well, let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. Verse 27 under provision. I missed something here. After Ezra is told by the king, the mightiest man in the then known world, all the stuff he's going to get for free. Ezra says in verse 27, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such a thing in as this in the king's heart. Let me go back. Who did it? The Lord God put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord, my God, was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. So he's saying this shift, this move is because of God's hand. That's on me. All that I'm getting by way of provision is because of the hand of the Lord that's upon me. And then protection. I'll end with protection today. I'll come back with the next two next week. All right? Protection. Ezra chapter 7, verse 9. Ezra 7, verse 9. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth, fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. So, so, so we see traveling mercies. He's going to leave from Babylon, and some say it's a 900-mile trek, which takes at least four months to walk from Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, into Jerusalem, four months, with about 2,000 people. And they're loaded down with cash and gold and silver. <laughs> and you know how it is when you got a little something on you, right? You watching, right? You, 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 at least I am. You know, I'm sorry. You, you can get brother out the hood, can't get the hood out the brother. I'm like, watching because I got a little something in my pocket, you know, where I'm going. I'm locking my car twice because something is in my car, you know what I'm saying, that I don't want nobody to get. So, so for four months, you're traveling with this, and there are robbers and thieves on the road and other nations who want to take and harm and kill and steal. And so he's like, man, the only reason we made this trip, this 900 miles, is because the hand of the Lord was upon us, protecting us. That's why when you're around old folks a lot of times, before you take a road trip, they say, come on, let's pray now. We need to ask God to put a hedge of what? protection around you, that the Lord might dispatch his angels to give you traveling mercy. You think the reason why you got from here to there was because the pilot was so astute or because the bus driver was so attentive. No, you got from here to there because of the hand of the Lord that was upon you. And we don't take that for granted. No, we don't take that for granted. Because he's going to end up fasting and praying because he understands the situation. Uh, in chapter 8, Verse 21. Watch this. So, so in chapter 7, you kind of see the big picture. We, we left and we made it. But now he's going to kind of take us into some of the details in chapter 8. He says, uh, before we left, basically, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions for I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. Because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Let me try to break this down for you. 
So this slave gets promoted in the presence of the king who wants to give the, the, this slave all that he needs by way of provision to go back and uh, uh, lead the people in worshiping God. And somewhere in there, he tells the king, you know, God's hand is on me. Now, that can sound uh, overconfident uh, because, because he's going to say, the hand of the Lord is on me. Nehemiah says, the hand of the Lord is on me. And for some people, that may sound cocky, but it's really just being cognizant. It's not being arrogant. It's being confident. I know God's hand is on me. Uh, 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 uh. So when he says to the king, somewhere in conversation, God's hand is on me, then it's time to go. And he's like, I want to ask for an armed escort. But I done told him that God is on us. You know, I, I wish them brothers was marching next to us while we carrying all this gold, but I didn't say it. God is with us. So God, we're going to fast and pray because it's about your name, and I don't want to look bad and look like I'm, you know, con contradicting what I'm saying about how strong you are. God, would you protect us? And God ended up protecting them as they made the trip. He protected them. And look at verse 31 of chapter 8. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we didn't need the armed escort in the natural because we had the armed escort of the Lord in the spiritual. Uh, what a leader, what a leader, what a leader. And so we see three things today, promotion, provision, and protection. I wish I could go on, but, but, but oh, ah, ah. Number four, power. They had some power. Chapter 7, chapter 7, because I got to end it right. I got to end it right. Chapter 7, verse 28, when we talk about this power, uh, let's see here. Uh, I'll start at verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged. Why? As the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. Power. Chapter 8 verse 1. These are the heads of their father's houses. And this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon. Pastor, what are you talking about power? If you're going to be a leader, you got to be able to lead people. And when you lead people, that's power. The hand of the Lord was on him, giving him not only charisma and having character, but that was followership. Because if you call yourself a leader and nobody's following you, you're just taking a walk. But when you are a leader and people follow you, that's power. Because leadership ultimately comes down to influence. That you're influencing people who are around you. You don't have to be on a platform to be a leader. Wherever you are, you are a leader because you have influence on the people around you, just like they have influence on you. So Ezra had power, and that was power to lead the people. As I mentioned, about 2,000 people would go with him back to Jerusalem. And leadership is using your God-given ability to influence people for good and for God. Leadership is the power to serve others. Not just to get a name for yourself. It is to serve. The more power you get, the more power you give away. The more you empower others. That's what leadership is. In the movie Malcolm X, one of my favorite scenes is Denzel Washington plays Malcolm X, is when Brother Johnson, a Muslim, had been beaten up by the police, police brutality, and he was left half dead in the hospital. And so Malcolm X went there with the fruit of Islam, the nation of Islam, and they go into the hospital, and they find that this man is on the deathbed. And he says, go get a doctor, you know, come on now, take him from the police station to a hospital. But when Malcolm went to the hospital to check on Brother Johnson, all these other folks, not only Muslims, but people in the community followed him there. And there was a threat of, there was going to be a riot, there was going to be violence between the people and the police department. It was an unsettling scene, but one man was able to calm the crowd. When he came back out of the police station, 
saying that he had ordered medical attention and it was on its way, the people settled down and they departed. But not until Malcolm X put his hand up and pointed like this. And they turned and they walked off. All those people, the riot quelled. The police said in the movie, that's too much power for one man to have. What's the point of power? You can influence and lead people. Ezra had the hand of the Lord on him and other folks saw it. If your Holy Ghost power is just about you shouting, you can keep that power. If your Holy Ghost power is just about you speaking in tongues and laying hands and folk, folk you can keep that power. If your power in the Holy Ghost is only behind a pulpit or in a church on Sunday, you keep that power. The real power shows up in how we influence people for the king and his kingdom. That's power. Leading and serving other people. But finally, there's proven success, man. After there's been promotion, provision, protection, power, there's proven success. In chapter one, 8, we see how these folks came behind Ezra and followed him. And in verses 5, let's see here. Uh, let, let me go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Because I said that these two brothers are contemporaries, right? Uh, uh, one built the people up, the other built the wall up. They worked together, Ezra and Nehemiah. And in Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 8, the people all come together, these people that made the trip safely. This man, Ezra the priest, is bringing people back to God because they had the temple built, but the core wasn't there because the word of God wasn't there. The priest gets back with the word of God, and he reads the word of God to the community of God's people from the oldest down to the youngest. He reads it, the Bible says, and he gives understanding to what he's reading. And the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, what does success look like? Let's see here, let's see here. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people on a platform. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Revival broke out. They're not just back in the land, they're back with God. And Ezra was a part of that. He was the leader in that moment. God's hand was on him. But I also have to say that God's hand was not just on Ezra. Y'all got to hear this. His hand was also on the people. Not just on Ezra, but on the people. Ezra chapter 8, I got to read this, I got to read this. Ezra Chapter 8, verse 18. It says, Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, on and on and on. I, I, I got to say this because in today where we want to worship celebrities, even celebrity preachers and pastors, where these people don't mind being worshipped, and they want you to think they got more Holy Ghost than you. They want you to think they have secret knowledge and deeper insight, prophetic utterance, as if they're the only ones who can get through to God. But one of the great things about the new covenant is that the Lord makes all of us priests with equal access to God. So there are no big I's and little U's in the kingdom of God. It's not about how much more of the Holy Ghost we can get. It's about how much more of the Holy Ghost does he get of us. Or in other words, it's not how much I get of God, how much God gets of me. And there's some of us who, who, who think that because God is working on me, he's only working on me and he's not working through anyone else. Because there are pastors in my position who think that because they preach and because they teach, that they are above being rebuked, above being checked, or they put stuff out that you are supposed to amen and accept even if it goes against the Bible because they say God's hand is on me. But Ezra said the hand of God was not only on Ezra, but it was on the people. So don't you dare put a person up and thinking that they're better than you, more anointed than you, more powerful than you. No, they just have a different position than you. And because they're in this position, they are under stricter judgment, according to James. So you just can't put that stuff out and say, you know, 
know what? Trust me because I'm an anointed man of God. No, I'm going to test it based on what the Bible says. Well, if you test it, that means you don't respect me. No, I respect God more than I respect you. So the hand of God just ain't on the pastor. The hand of God is on the people. And any pastor who's really leading God's people wants God's hand on the people. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about when the Spirit of God fell on the camp with Moses. And uh, there were some guys in the camp the Spirit fell on. Then there were guys outside the camp who weren't at the church meeting, but the Spirit fell on them. And uh, 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 Joshua said, Moses, uh, they weren't even at the meeting, and they got the Spirit of God on them. In other words, Moses put religious clamps on them and tell them that unless they're in the church building, then stop all that prophesying out there. Moses said, I wish everybody in the camp had the Spirit of God on them. That's what a leader, man, I want you to walk with, and I want you to teach me what you're learning from God. It ain't just a one-way street. We're all disciples of Jesus. Oh, Ezra, he said, it's on the, uh, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. I I, I gave you five P's. But I'm going to throw two more in for free. I'm going to give you two more for free. Because we love provision and protection and power. We, we love all of that. But, but I got two more. They, they, they for free. When the hand of God is on you, you're also going to have some pain and some problems. I'll come back next week on that. I'll come back next week. I'll come back next week. I'll come back next week. Because of Mara, uh, 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 Jewel, are you going to be here next week? Y'all got it right now? Y'all got it right now? Uh, um... Let me see here. After y'all sing this song, Isaiah is going to close us, okay? Isaiah, you ready? Or you want to come now and let them sing this song? You, uh, amen, wise choice. Come on, because after they sing this song, I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I'll give you a sneak peek the next week. The way you get the hand of God on you, you got to humble yourself. You got to humble yourself. Ezra humbled himself. When you try to exalt yourself, God will move his hand to show you and remind you, you're not God. But when you can humble yourself, he'll lift you. Oh, okay, all right. Isaiah!